0: Om namo narayayana this is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yogavidya Bad Meinberg near Hannover in
1: Germany Sarveshiva samaraṃbhaṃ shankara Madhyamam madyamam paryantam vande guru param param ishvaro mūrti beḍa vibhagine Vyom avadvyapta dehaya, dakshinamurtaye namah, sarva vedanta siddhanta, gocharam tamagocharam, govindam paramanandam, sadgurum Pranatos Miham om govinda narayana, shnana. <coughs> Bhagavad <coughs> Gita chapter 17. This is just uh, basically a continuation of the three gunas idea. It's an application of the uh, triguna vibhava yoga, the three gunas analysis of experience, uh, to various aspects of of your personality or your mind. Oh, Krishna, what is the basis of the priorities and values of people who perform rituals according to scripture? Is it the three gunas? We don't have to worry about rituals according to scripture because we're not necessarily following strict Vedic Dharma. So what it means is that your values, whatever you value... And whatever is important to you uh, is is determined by your guna. Okay. Whether you're actually following Vedika Dharma, Vedika Dharma is uh, an incredibly um, detailed life lifestyle plan. You could put it like that, where all of your all of your duties are laid out by the scripture. From, from the morning, you, the minute you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth until the day you go to, to, go to bed at night. It's uh, called the Dharma Shastra. Your, your duties are your dharmas. And if, if you follow Vedic Dharma, then you'll get, become sattvic extremely quickly that in the old days when this was written, and it's still true to a large degree in, in Indian society, uh, although it's becoming less and less uh, uh, prevalent, um, you didn't, didn't just do what you wanted to do. <laughs> our are are desire-oriented. In other words, our idea is your life is getting what you want from the dharma field so we're, we're desire oriented which means that all the responsibility for our decisions lies with us but you, the person with the jiva, with the ego this is why there's so much stress because the jiva doesn't understand um, all the factors that are involved in action and particularly the results of action so when the, when an individual jiva acts he or she always has a doubt always has anxiety about whether it's the right thing to do or not whether it's the right course of action or not but if you if you follow a dharmic system you don't have that anxiety <laughs> cuz you just do what you're told that's all. Huh? You, you, your, your, all your decisions are based upon the scripture. So the scripture tells you this is how you do it. And, and well, obviously that doesn't work for us, right? Because <laughs> we're all rebels and individualists, and desire is the most important thing to us, getting what we want. So we're not interested in following the rules. Vedic Dharma just means all these rules of how to live. they're really good rules they're really sensible rules they're really logical and they produce a very very uh, dignified cultured, mature person rather ra- very quickly. There's a young boy that I've been putting through school in for the last ten years in India and uh he was he was actually mature. Adult by the time he was 12, 10, 12, 13. He never went through that whole teenage thing and all that neurosis and all that stuff. He just, he was, come from a, a family that followed Vedic Dharma. And uh, so he just did what he was supposed to do. And he was like totally self-confident, He could deal with adults three times his age. He was always calm and peaceful. He knew exactly what he needed to do at any time. And so he just did it. You know, when the hormones started kicking up, he just knew that that was not, it didn't fit into what? Into the plan. So he just wasn't interested in girls. He wasn't surfing the porn sites and all of that sort of thing. And, and checking out the girls, he was just doing his studies and 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 doing his duty. So, so, so when this was written, most of the India people were following Vedic dharma. They were ritualists. So, uh, the, the question is, well, what what are the basis of the values of people who? have do rituals. We we don't do religious rituals, we do worldly rituals. Uh, <laughs> we have a, our our routines, our habits. And it doesn't matter whether you follow a, a, a secular lifestyle or or a or a spiritual or, or sacred lifestyle. The gunas are the gunas are still gonna control everything. <laughs> okay? So everything you think and feel and value is controlled by the gunas so these are these the, these verses are just little insights uh, it applies to every the gunas apply to every single aspect of your life so uh, you don't have to you know you use this analysis just to look at every aspect he's just covering certain uh, important aspects of your life in this one but the guna model applies to everything uh, Shri Bhagawan said, "Bhagawan means Krishna or the Self. Self is talking here. People's priorities and values depend upon whether their minds are sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic. People are little more than their gunas, than their priorities and values. <laughs> They're not much more to people. This is why, if you know the, if you understand the guna model, you can pretty much predict." And tell exactly how anybody's going to behave. You can understand. You learn their gunas, and it doesn't take long to figure out what their gunas are. You can you can just ha- almost a hundred percent predict how they'll behave. Because the gunas just condition us to behave and think and feel in a certain way. People. So, in other words, they're unconscious forces. And the the point of this of all this inquiry is. To bring what's unconscious in you, or what's unknown in you, bring it to light, bring it into your conscious mind, into your subtle body, so that you can work on it. If you don't, you know, if if that unconscious stuff isn't brought up and considered, then it's going to continue to affect you uh, negatively. It's going to continue to control you. But if you can examine your unconscious carefully and uh, using this model, then you can, what? you That will clear these problems. You don't have to do anything about the problems apart from just inquiring into them and looking at your values and priorities in light of this three guna model and in light of what you're trying to achieve spiritually. Well, our, we're trying to achieve moksha. So... That's the that's the standard by which we evaluate <clears throat> every thought and feeling. We we look at every thought and feeling and see, you know, does this contribute to uh, to peace of mind, and ultimately to my uh, discovery of myself as uh, awareness, as, as whole and complete awareness. So. So it's a, it's a it's simply if you want therapy if you're interested in therapy this is this is the the most simple and direct therapy there is basically. I would love to have uh, some kind of you know, reputation or power or something to speak to 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 get these ideas into the psychological world because the the. Quite a number of people interested in Vedanta are, are psychological types, usually psychologists, some psychiatrists, mo- often uh, life counselors and this kind of thing, giving counseling. Or, or, and almost everyone has told me that the, their knowledge of the gunas has, has uh, had a remarkable effect on their practice, even with, even with teenagers and young people. Even teenagers and young people understand this very well, because it's, huh? it's just part of your experience that you don't really consider. And so, by by bringing light to this, uh, it gives you a, a tremendous amount of control over your, over your jiva, over your life and your lifestyle. So, and you know, a non-conforming lifestyle definitely prevents moksha. And if you if you get moksha when you have when your lifestyle is nonconforming, and it does happen, you'll have a fall later on. This is the fallen yogi idea. We see the fallen yogis come right, come fast and furious nowadays. Huh? They they get their enlightenment, but what their lifestyles don't conform to the to what they really know inside their hearts, what they really their true knowledge, and so what. They, they fall, they come back. And they, they, they're very embarrassed and unhappy people because they've claimed that they're free, and yet their behavior is showing, obviously, the world that they they've telling they're free, uh, that, that they're not free, that they're controlled by these uh, unconscious forces. So this, this analysis should be ongoing. Because you, you never know how much stuff is in you. <laughs> and if you clear your stuff, maybe Ishwar will dump some more stuff in there. <laughs> so so the, the truth is, you're going to have to keep, as a jiva, you're going to have to keep discriminating your whole life long. I mean, that, what better use of your mind than to discriminate? You're going to be thinking your whole life long. So why not think this way? your whole life long because this will keep you free and clean and pure and happy whereas just random thinking from the jiva center motivated by various un- unexamined motivations and so forth that's not going to keep you free <laughs> that'll keep you uh, bouncing around in samsara like a, a ping pong ball so anyway so he said, <clears throat> he's it he's going to describe these now People in whom sattva predominates worship for knowledge of God and the purification of the mind. Rajasic people worship to gain certain things in the world. We already talked about this. They're asking God, "Give give me a new house, give me a relationship, I want children, I need whatever, I need a job, whatever. They're they're begging or praying to God. To give them the stuff that they know Ishwara controls the stuff, so they're asking Ishwara, please give me this stuff. These are like, this is a business mind, right everybody <laughs> if you if you have that business mind, if you're always making bargains with God about this and that, oh yeah, take care of this, keep me out of jail, and I'll build a church for you, Lord. That's what the criminals do. <laughs> they they go, and they're real devout they go kneel at the altar and say oh Jesus, I'm so sorry I'll never do that again please keep me uh, keep me out of jail and I'll build a new wing on the church or I'll contribute to this to Catholic children's charity or something you know yeah. they're making business with Bhagavan so that, that's a Rajasic uh, tendency <clears throat> and Tamasic people worship out of fear or to achieve bad ends the criminals in India all of them worship God there's I don't imagine there's maybe 10% of the criminals that are atheists in, in India But they're tamasic they're using God to what to break Dharma so they actually have gods that, that they actually have gods that what they propitiate to help them you know, when a thief goes out he says, Oh God, you know, and they worship gives some flowers and praise to the God. Don't let me get caught tonight while I'm trying to steal that person's gold. <laughs> Tomasic worship. And God will hey God maybe God need maybe you need to get that person's gold, and maybe that person doesn't need to have that gold, and maybe God will make you successful. You don't know. Huh? <laughs> yeah. There's many successful thieves and and rapers and robbers and and who knows you know of all sorts. So <laughs> uh, be those with sunless dispositions. Oh, where did it go here? Did I get the right? Huh? Yeah. Oh yeah okay, those with sunless dispositions are riddled with pretension and self-importance. These are Rajasic people. They think they're really important. They, they if you think you're really important, that you're special, huh? that you're uh, that the, the the world really needs you, then you're Rajasic. Huh? It's a, it's a sign of low self-esteem. You want to imagine that you're. More important than you actually are. You know, actually, we're not important at all. We just, all little people. We we do a little function here. We're important in so far as everybody has a little duty to do, but nobody's special here. But if you feel that you're really special and you're doing something really significant, uh, then you can get that that kind of vanity, and that's Rajaguna, It's called. <coughs> Uh, which is motivated by passion and longing. They lack discrimination, and they perform harmful, physically harmful religious disciplines not enjoined in the scriptures. These are the ones, you know, the flagellants in the Middle Ages. They had they they had a, a whip or with ropes with glass embedded in the ropes, and they whipped themselves, walk around the church, and whip themselves, get the blood coming out. In India, you see them. I saw recently these guys walking. We were driving down the road, and, and, and there were all kinds of people. It was like a procession and a festival right in the middle of the road, and we couldn't get by. So, so we, we pulled over and stopped, and there were a bunch of guys, and they, were, they were, uh, abused their bodies. So, and then one of them had a, a huge iron rod piece of iron about this big, stuck through his cheek, I clipped from one side to the other and had some some uh, weights on the end, huh? And he's walking down the road, the blood is dripping out and all that sort of thing, uh, and and he's in some kind of trance and everybody's worshiping him like like he's like he's some incredible yogi. Well, he's just a Tomasic penitent. That's all. He's, he's a guilty guy who thinks if he he's probably done some bad things, and he thinks if he does some bad things to himself, it makes up for his his sins. So he's uh, he's atoning for the the. Well, anyway, you know the story. Not only do they violate the rules of the body, they injure themselves spiritually. You're not doing yourself any spiritual good by. It. Doing this kind of intense uh, uh, tapas, they call it tapas. The way one eats, big one, food, performs religious rituals, disciplines oneself, and gives charity depends upon the predominance of a particular guna. Foods which increase longevity, mental clarity, Strength and health, are are and are pleasing to taste and look at, are beloved by sattvic people. Bitter, sour, salty, hot, pungent, stringent, and burning foods that give pain and regret, cause health problems and are sought by for by rajasic people. That's where they sell those alka seltzers and tums. Those companies make billions of dollars selling. And acids. Huh? I think billions, because people like this Rajasic food that that creates acid reflux and, and creates too much rajas in the in the stomach, burns the throat and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. People love this stuff. Those are Rajasic people. And what and what do they do? After they've eaten or indulged themselves, they feel they feel sorry. they they, they Feel regret. That's what it says here. So if you huh, I, I feel that sometimes. I, I, I've got a bad food vasana. And uh I, I went over here and to have a chocolate, you know, after after dinner, lunch. That's cho- chocolate's tamasic, but it's the same thing. And uh instead of taking just one chocolate, I took two. <laughs> And I felt guilty eating the second one. I said I shouldn't do that. <laughs> See, that's Rogers. Rogers and Thomas. You, you take too much. That's Rogers. You're greedy. So you take too much, and then what do you do? You feel again. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I feel so bad. Why did I do that? I know better than that. That's Thomas. He did. Immediately become tomasic after you do that. <laughs> uh, and uh, what about these Tamasic people? They like leftovers, huh? Yeah. Have you ever gone to seen one of those people's refrigerator? Like, gone in there and seen a pizza that's like four days old, huh? That's no. all curling around the edges, <laughs> huh? <laughs> And a can of half-open beer? Huh? No, there, there are lots of people like that. They love stale, putrid, stinky, rotten, old, huh? <laughs> Terrible food, huh? No. It says, uh, from which energy is gone. Somebody asked me about some of the food there. There was a nice dish, and it tasted good. And it was all sattvic. Food. It was sattvic food, but they'd overcooked it, so it had become tamasic. So the food had lost all its shakti. Well, it, yeah, it's it's a vegetable, but you're, you want to eat the shakti that's in the food. You don't want to kill all the shakti. Life eats life here. Huh? The, the vegetarians, oh, we don't eat meat. Well, you're eating plants. Plants are living beings, so what do you, you know... And you eat those plants fresh because why? Because they have life. So you don't, when you cook something, you don't want to kill the, the shakti, the energy in that, in that food. You want to just just warm it up enough to, to give your digestive fire a little help. But you don't want to overcook it or you lose the shakti. So even though, even though the, it, was, it was cabbage, which is a great food, a huge food. It's extremely, I could talk about diet for a long time. I know, I'm an expert on that one. <laughs> but um, it, it, was, it was cauliflower and cabbage and it was really, it was, both are excellent foods. Very sattvic and extremely healthy foods. Lots of fiber and nutrition and so forth. But they destroyed the food. They'd overcooked it. It was just dead. It, it tasted nice, but that was all. It didn't. It, it didn't have any energy left in it. So. And, and it's un and and, and and is unfit as an offering means what? Yeah, think about putting. You've got an altar of your deity there, and in India, it's it's a habit in in good families, in families that are following Vedic Dharma, to offer a symbolic portion of the first plate of food to the deity. In uh, in Swamiji's ashram, uh, before we ate, the cook came out with a plate, and it didn't have a full plate of food, but it had a sample of each item, and that uh, that food was offered. Ch- there was a chant, and that food was offered to the deity. Now, would you would you give a would you offer God a, a half a can of Coke and a, and a stale pizza? <laughs> <laughs> but you'll put it in your in your stomach. You'll eat it yourself. You'll eat crappy food yourself. And God is your digestive fire, isn't it? Remember, in the fifteenth chapter, Krishna said, I'm inside you digesting your food. So when you're offering food, you're offering it to Krishna. Krishna's inside you converting that food into energy and circulating it and doing all this work for you. So you'll give him what some crappy food. Yeah. So you know, when you when you eat, you should dedicate this food to the Lord. Whatever when you prepare it and so forth and so on. I never understood this one where put their hands o- over the food. I, I don't get what that was. Somebody told me they're trying to raise the vibrations of the food. Is that right? Does I just do somehow? Huh? You're trying to lift the vibrations of the food. I think it's also making a connection between mind and. Physical. and the moment you bless it, you create some connection. I but see. Physical, and and then yeah, like you are aware, you are mindful that you're Yeah. To be eating. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I won't. I'll resist the temptation to make a cynical comment on that <laughs> ritual. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, if you have non-dual vision, the food's the self, isn't it? And and the one and the hands, your hands are the self too. So, how, how what's going to be raised or lowered? The food is already God, and you're already God. So, it's fine to to acknowledge God. I think that's the point. Uh, it, but you don't have to put your hands there to acknowledge God. All you have to do is what, offer mentally a prayer, and God is subtle enough, because God's your own consciousness. So God knows exactly what you're thinking. So. But well, God accepts the prayer, accepts the... Uh, and so the food is sanctified immediately, right? just with the thought. There's no... Actually, physically, you're not really physically putting any shakti in that food. Uh, you, you, you may think you are, but you're not actually doing that. It's not. Yeah?
0: There
1: is a movie about water, you know, and they, um, they tell in the movie that uh, to uh, san- sacrifice dignity, the food does something in the water element to, uh, like the Yamoto, the cr- crystals uh, change to a better... Pattern, pattern. Yeah, yeah. And it's all, the, the, the basic is to say thank you and love. Yeah, okay, well, that's good. <laughs> that's anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So they no, I had a friend that spent $1,500 on a machine. This was when everybody was in love with the water. Remember the, huh? the secret life of water? Remember that book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's this book, Secret Life of Water. Everybody was into water. And you had to swirl the molecules a certain way. She spent $1,500 on a machine that made the water swirl in a certain way. So the molecules in the water were all lined up. So it would be good for her health, and and then and when once she got the water, then she kept it in these glass in these jars, glass jars. She wouldn't put it in plastic or anything. I can understand that. Wouldn't put it in plastic. We'd think, well, that's really good water, but it, obviously, just swirling those molecules wasn't good enough because she went to one of those health food stores. In California, we have everything. Believe me every goofy person in the world is in california making some kind of spiritual thing huh and and she had she got some little ceramic balls like little donuts with holes in them and she dropped those in the water i don't know they they were supposed to improve <laughs> the water even more you know she couldn't drink the water if 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 it didn't have one of those little Ceramic Donuts in it.
0: <laughs> Effective microorganisms, is it called? What? Effective, mi- <clears throat> Effective microorganisms, is it called? They are. The uh, information is in the ceramics. It's come, it comes uh, from uh, Japan.
1: Oh, it's Japan. Oh, the Japanese are really goofy people. <laughs> they are the quirkiest, weirdest people. No, don't get me talking about the Japanese. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember now. That's right. She told me it was from Japan. They figured this out, you know. I don't know. Maybe. It's <laughs> <laughs> R- scripture Rit- rituals rituals enjoined by scripture performed dutifully and without expectation of result other than the feeling of purity they engender is sacric you don't do the rituals to get anything you do it because it makes you feel good it makes you feel to, it makes you feel good to offer who cares what comes from the ritual you know, so So that's sattvic, that's your attitude. Rituals offered to gain something in this world or proclaim one's religiosity are rajasic. Rituals not sanctioned by the scriptures whose mantras are not properly recited and do not involve the distribution of food or wealth are tamasic. A lot of Western people think, oh, I'll just do any old ritual I want. And uh, those are tamasic. They don't really understand it. They're not scripturally sanctioned. They don't distribute food or whatever along with it. It just, you know, so it's tamasic. You should understand what you're offering and why and uh, so forth. Physical discipline. Now he's analyzing your physical activity. Physical discipline involves serving wise spiritual teachers, keeping the body clean and healthy, and non-injury to others. Speech which does not cause agitation to oneself and others, which is true, pleasing, and beneficial, including the daily repetition of one's own Veda, compromise speech discipline. Great, important, most, one of the most important practices you can do is to control your speak speech. Cheerfulness, lack of a compulsion to speak. Some people just cannot. As soon as they get near somebody else, they start talking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, had a, we had a family friend. and uh, my, brother, my brother married her daughter. And she was a farm woman. She lived out on a farm about 25 miles from town. And her husband got up at 4 in the morning and was out in the fields all day and just only came home at night. So she was starved for someone to talk to. So when she'd come to visit us... She would st- we would see her drive up in front of the house, and she'd start talking before she got out of the car <laughs> she'd open the door and she'd be talking she'd be talking as she walked up the door as soon as we opened the door she'd walk in and she was talking like that she she had to talk she huh was compulsive huh she and, and, and we just got so terribly bored with her because. She wasn't saying anything at all. It, we didn't care what she said because it didn't have anything to do with anything. It was just the vomit of her mind. It was getting out this need to, uh, to say something, to communicate. So, you know, the idea is you know, if you have that compulsion to speak, right? If you, if you hang around with people so you can start talking to them. I had a fellow in India came to my class and I, I was awful he He went or came all the way from California, and he was a very nice man and uh and so and he he used to come all the time and he'd sit down at my table when I'm just there reading my scripture or writing my internet or something he without even at, looking at me, he'd start talking <laughs> he'd start talking it didn't matter what if a pretty girl walked by, he'd say, "Oh, she's got a cute butt or <laughs> No, i say anything. He would just say anything. <laughs> Finally, I had to give him a lecture. In fact, that took two or three days to get him to appreciate the fact that I liked silence. And that, huh, that my big, my big thing was silence. Well, I, I don't like to have my mind come off of myself. Myself is so nice. It's, I live inside... My mind is just sipping that nectar, that blissful nectar from the all the time. I don't want to have to think. Huh? And particularly, I don't want to have to think rubbish thoughts. If you've got stupid thoughts, and you ask me to like consider those stupid thoughts, right, it's painful for me. <laughs> it's actually painful, because uh, I have to sacrifice my bliss to listen to you talk nonsense. Yeah it took me it took me 2 or 3 days and he was offended at first. He wouldn't talk to me for a couple of days and then slowly slowly I apologized and this and that and then and then after a while he could he learned how to sit there he, but he couldn't sit there very long because he knew he couldn't talk. But he would just <laughs> he would just sit there long enough to show that he could sit there without talking and then he'd get up and go <laughs> cuz he won't look for somebody else to talk to. You know Low self-esteem, you know, not, not happy with your own company, needing needing to validation, wanting love from people, you know. He'd go out of you. He'd do anything for you, but the the in in at first, you know, you those kind of people. You think, oh, that's great. They want to do something for me. That's lovely, but the price is what they they get to talk all the time to you. <laughs> so you're not getting any free service out of those people. Huh? You. <laughs> You have to listen to them babble, and I'd rather do it myself than listen to somebody talk nonsense. So, this now, if you have a compulsion to speak, it's not really that common in in the Vedanta world, particularly. Very, there are a few people like that, but most, most Vedanta people are. They're like cats; they keep to themselves, they think for themselves, they're quiet and in, inside and it's, it's really very pleasant uh, being involved with Vedanta people but in the world you have a lot of people like this and occasionally you get somebody needy person who has to speak so if you have that tendency then that's what it's owing to your rajasic uh, nature uh, oh and uh, if you don't if, you, if you're if you happy just being quiet and silent then it means you're what? Satva guna is the predominant guna a mastery of the mind through observation. See, we're saying, don't try to fix your mind. Just observe your mind. Huh? Don't try to, huh? Don't try to fix your problem. Just observe your problem. The observation itself will will fix it. You don't have to change it. Just observe it. If you want to change it, then observe the thought. Why do I want to change it and do inquiry on that? Well, I want to change it because what? I think there's something wrong with me because of this thought. There's not anything wrong with you because of that thought. Ishwara put that thought there, right? All you have to do is look at it from the self's point of view, and uh, it's no longer an issue. And straightforward intent... are called mental discipline. That means what? Do what you say you're going to do. Do what you think you sh- you're, you're going to do. If you make up your mind to do something, do it. That's sakura. Don't make up your mind and then not do it. Some people are so rajasic, they forget. They, they, all these other things get in the way and they never, never actualize their resolve, their spiritual resolves. And some people are so dull and tamasic, they, they just don't want to do it. They know they should do it, but they don't, do, don't f- carry forward with it because they're too lazy. So, but, but sattvic people will what? They'll make a resolution. We call it a sankalpa, and they'll follow it through. Self, <clears throat> self-discipline that is observed by those who expect no result other than mental purity is sattvic. Inconsistent and short-lived self-discipline or discipline done ostentatiously to obtain the high opinion of others is rajasic. Discipline done from a deluded state of mind that involves bodily affliction or whose intent to destroy is tamasic. Charity, now charity, how you give. Charity dutifully given at the appropriate time and place to a worthy recipient without expectation of return, is sattvic. And thank you for the donations, by the way. That's very kind and generous of you. Uh, Charity that is painful to give and is intended to benefit oneself is rajasic. Some people give to get. Give to get. That's rajasic. Charity given contemptuously at inappropriate times and places to unworthy re- uh, recipients is tamasic. I was with a friend and we were walking on the street and there was this, this beggar who was obviously an alcoholic and my friend just took out some coins and just threw it on the ground at that, at, at that fellow, just like that, it's tamasic. He should have what? He should have gone and offered given him the money. It showed some respect. But it was like, you filthy... M- what are you living like this for a lot of... The- here's some money, you know. Tomasic thinks you're superior or whatever it is. So, um, the next two, three verses, I don't... Uh, there's no point. There. The, the idea is that idea basically is that whenever you uh offer something or do something, you should remember the self, you should chant Om or say your mantra or something It's a karma yoga discipline, a mental discipline. just do what make sure that the whatever you're doing is is uh a sattvic action basically because our idea is to what make all of our actions satric that's our because we want. You know, you wouldn't tell that to a a football player necessarily. A football player wants a lot of Rajas and a lot of Thomas. So those guys they're not interested in sattva. So they'll they'll you know, they'll do other rituals to what, to get Rogers and Thomas. But we don't want Rogers and Thomas. We want a little bit, but we want basic Sattva. So when you consecrate actions with a thought, you remember the self with every thought then and so here it's just, this is a very kind of specific, culturally specific uh, Vedic ritual that's meant to instill your activities with the remembrance of, of the divine. Okay, chapter 18. Uh, and You know, uh, it's not a profound chapter. It's just a very helpful chapter to, to you know, learn to recognize these gunas and, and that's all and then and look at the, the action and then see what the result is this is how you change your gunas just look and see how you think and feel not immediately although sometimes immediately you can tell what the what the action is but what i call the post digested effect after you've gotten over the taste and the immediate experience <coughs> what that thing does to you after your body and mind has had time to digest it and assimilate it. Then, you know, then you'll see what the effect of that action or that, that uh, substance has on your consciousness. And then you just huh, You just start, start to work. Creating the kind of life, the kind of mind, the kind of body that you want. It's a patient thing a slow patient process but it really works and you want to keep healthy understand this gunas chapter 18 chapter 18 is basically a summary Um, where's the I don't know where I put that doesn't matter Ah, that's fine Arjuna said it just no new ideas here just a summary of the uh, yeah that's right, thank you.'ll I'll do just, just do it off the summary. save us the the problem take us the trouble of going through all the verses because we're short on time and I, I'd like to have a, a few minutes for uh, for question and answers and saying goodbye and all that, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Chapter eighteen. Um, so uh, in in this chapter he, he uses again, uh, the guna model. He keeps keeps uh, analyzing in terms of the gunas. He analyzes renunciation, for example. He says, uh, letting go of anxiety for results of while, while you're acting is sattvic. If you can do that, then, then you have a sattvic temperament. Not doing what should be done because it is physically inconvenient is rajasic. Uh, It's too much trouble to go to church on Sunday. It's out of my way. I won't go today. I love God and I should go to church, but it's really difficult. I really want to go to the sports. I want to go to the football game, and it's shortly after the church, and it would take me out of my way. So I won't worship today, but I'll worship next week. Uh. (laughs) Rajasik people are so busy, they don't want to be inconvenienced. They think they're so important and they have a huge long list of things to do and they're very very attached to doing their little list of things and and any any activity spiritual activity that gets in the way of a, of their what of their their to do list they'll conveniently forget to do that so that's rajasik. if you have that tendency i should meditate but well i'm pretty busy today and i i'll, I'll meditate tonight and then at night, no, no, I won't. It's not convenient. Maybe then they meditate once a week or something, but so. And not doing what is right out of ignorance is tamasic. <laughs> Willful ignorance. I don't want to know, and I don't want to know because I don't want to do it. So don't tell me what's good. Don't tell me what's right. That's tomasic. Knowledge. Looking at your knowledge. This is, I like this. This is a very nice idea. The knowledge that says that there is one principle appearing as infinite, visible, and invisible names and forms is sattvic. In other words, the knowledge that sees what? The one thing behind everything is sattvic. The knowledge that sees individual selves, that sees everything as like huh? little units, Little atomic units, all separate, bouncing around. Huh? That's Rajasic. And the idea that asserts that the body is real, and that it is the self, is Tamasic. Tamasic is also people who get obsessed with a particular idea and see everything through that idea. Like like diet. Huh. Everything that goes wrong is a consequence of the food you eat. Everything. Huh? They explain everything by their diet or, or religious fanatics. Huh? They, everything is like because Jesus said so or Jesus this, they look at it, everything through the Jesus filter. Huh? They have no imagination, their mind is like fixed and dull. So, huh? they can't think creatively. They don't even have enough Rajas to think different thoughts. So, they just get stuck in one simple thought everything's the government. The government is causing all of this. Issue. Everywhere you go, yeah, the government's to blame for everything. Huh? Etc. So, that's domestic Action and the doer. Actions done with dharma in mind are sattvic. Selfish actions are rajasic and harmful actions are tamasic. That's pretty simple. Look and see. Actions are thoughts. Thoughts are actions also, so look at your thoughts. Intelligence. The discriminating intelligence that comprehends the big picture is Satvik. The intelligence that knows bits and pieces of many things is Rajasic. You know, people that have tons of facts about a million things. None of them make any sense or connect to anything else. They just love all kinds of little bits and bits of information, huh? Not They're organized in any way. They just know millions of stuff about millions of little things and none of it's connected. Those are Rajasic people. Their mind can't stick on anything long enough. So they pick up a little information here, then they pick a little information there. They pick, 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 pick. They're just a monkey mind hopping around, just having experiences and picking things up. They haven't got the intelligence to synthesize it or see the pattern behind it or whatever. Um, They're active and they're intelligent, but their mind is so disturbed that uh, they just have tons of bits and pieces of information floating around in their brains. That that contrary mind that is certain that ignorance is knowledge is, is, is tamasic. The spiritual world's got a lot of tamasic energy in it. People hear an idea... You know, like the ascended masters. There's absolutely no evidence that there are ascended masters. It's absolutely no evidence. Ascended Ascended Masters. Oh, good that you don't know. (laughs) That these are people that think that that whatever spiritual information they have is being transmitted from another planet or another plane by enlightened beings there. And they're, they're putting those thoughts in your mind and they're making you think like that. And, um, and it's just ignorance. But they think it's knowledge. That there are masters. I, I met a woman once. That she got very famous and rich from writing a book that was about that thick. And it was all it was it was an interesting book because it was just a picture of her subconscious. But she didn't, couldn't see that it was about her at all. She claimed that all of this stuff that was coming out of her was coming from ascended masters. My friend asked her, and so we were talking about Vedanta. And so my friend, my friend, didn't know about this book or anything or her tendency, and so she said, well. Well, uh, why why don't you get interested in Vedanta? Why don't you study Vedanta? I think that would be good for you. Because she had some spiritual... She had a strong spiritual vasana. You know what she said? She said, because they won't let me. She said, because they won't let me. My friend said... uh, My friend had no idea what she was talking about. (laughs) And, And she said, well, Who's they? She said, they, they, well, they, who is they? My masters. She said, well, who's your masters? Oh, they're in, and then she sold some dimension. They had some special name, some fancy name. They were born, then she starts telling about these people that were in this, huh? And they were telling her what to do, and she couldn't possibly read the scripture because they told her they wouldn't let her do it. huh yeah she got quite famous and and uh you, you can see it was just her subconscious she didn't want to hear any common sense spiritual talk she she loved this fantasy idea that she was just a zombie down here on earth and these great beings were talking to her and that she was very special because they had chosen her to write this book and she was write, working on another book also and uh, I saw her recently. I saw her about a month ago. I bumped into her when I went down to India, and it was so sad. Cause when I met her, she was quite dynamic and beautiful, and and, and still had some life in her. But but this time I saw her. She was just this this just worn out, doddering old dowdy woman, kind of kind of messy, kind of just shuffling along the street. You could see she was totally unhappy, and everything. You know, she, my friend said, "Why don't you take charge of your own destiny? Why don't you Why don't you just own this book and say you wrote it and get on with it?" And so, no, 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 my masters won't let me. Had lost all of her shakti, given all of her energy, given all of her vitality to some beings she thought were out there, and there were no beings out there. It was just all in her own subconscious mind. So. And she, but she thought, boy, she thought this is the knowledge. This is going to save the world. So that's what we mean. They think ignorance is knowledge. Is when you're tamasic, willpower, sticking, sticking to dharma is sattvic. You should decide, I'm going to live the right life and do it, and that's sattva. Sticking to material pursuits is rajasic. The will to do as little as possible, uh, except enjoy is tamasic. Pleasure. Pleasure derived from noble pursuits is sattvic. Pleasure, no, noble pursuits means what? Spiritual practice, charity, doing, doing, you know, good work. The pleasure you get from doing that, that's sattva. Pleasure born of contacting objects is rajasic. Deep, Dull, dull, sleepy, narcotic sense pleasure is tamasic. Then, karma yoga. That's the next topic in the, in the last chapter. And mm-hmm. karma yoga, well, you'll, maybe some of you want to talk. Karma yoga is right action plus right attitude. It's, uh, it's understanding that you have a duty here to respond that because god has given you the gift of life and takes care of you in every way and has taken care of you in every way all your life that you have a duty or an obligation to make an offering to god in the form of your environment whatever your environment is and and you do and so that each action you offer to god and you and you At that time, you turn over the result to God. That means you drop your anxiety and you say, whatever you choose to give me, Lord, I accept with a glad heart. And that... So, if the Lord gives you what you want, when you do the action, you say, thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, I love you. You, and, And when... God gives you something you don't want you say thank you that's very kind of you i needed that that's good that teaches me something about myself and i so thank you very much and you take it as prasad take it as a gift <coughs> and that attitude what does it do it neutralizes your likes and your dislikes it's saying that that what I like and what I don't like is not what's important. What's important is that I... What, that I be an instrument of God's will. That I do what God wants me to do. So I... What, it removes my self-centeredness, my selfishness, and makes me what? Puts me in harmony with everything around me. Because I consider everything and I serve everything. I just make a contribution... Rather than an extraction, rather than trying to take from my environment, I what? I offer to my environment. And that's just a very simple attitude. It will totally revolutionize your life if you act in that spirit. It's just a spirit based upon the knowledge that you have a duty because God has given you everything that you have and everything that you value is given by God. So and that attitude karma yoga is what it's it's not moksha but it prepares the mind for moksha so with that karma yoga attitude then you can then your mind gets quiet and then you start directing your mind internally to god by what by worshipping forms or symbols of god at first or going directly to what the formless worship, i.e., Vedanta, which is the third stage. Usually, <laughs> you have to try go through the second stage, which is called Vipassana or Upasana Yoga. You have to meditate and contemplate on your relationship to the forms. See, try to see uh, all things as the self, as God, or as Ishwara, until your mind is really, really, really inward turned. Uh, In the karma yoga stage, your mind is external, turned outward. And in the second stage, the spiritual practice stage, your mind is turned inward. That was made possible by the karma yoga stage. And in the inward stage, you're meditating, praying, working inside. Uh, And then what? Then the final stage is uh, your mind gets really clear, really still. And then you can practice formal meditation or Vedanta or, and that involves what hearing and reflecting and then assimilating what you've heard then that causes moksha it's a state it's a process and you can't jump <laughs> oh I really I don't really like that karma yoga thing that seems really slow and boring. I don't want to do that as far as all that spiritual meditation stuff, let's forget it. just give me the Vedanta right now. And uh, no, I really don't want to do anything. Just tell me what it is, and I'll. And, you know, Now, you have to go through it. If you go through it consistently, like Krishna says and said, then you will get free. If you're dedicated and you do it with great faith, uh, uh, you just following this procedure uh, will set you free. Time-honored, it's been worked for centuries, it's going to keep on working. But it requires certain qualifications. And then Yana Yoga, which is what is Yana Yoga? This is the point. It's separating what? The subject from the object. Separate, we said that experience is two things. Experience is what? Consciousness plus the thought that's operating in you at the moment. That's experience. Experience. Minus the thought, you have consciousness. Plus the thought, you have experience. Experience is just that. Consciousness plus a thought. And because of ignorance, I what? The consciousness gets confused with the thinking. And the thinking gets confused with the consciousness. We call that superimposition. The two get confused. And because of that confusion, suffering happens. And Vedanta is what? Identifying the thought, the object, and identifying the consciousness and knowing which is which. And I used a simple example, I really like that example, of the hand. You're actually experiencing light and a hand, aren't you? That's what you're actually experiencing. You see, you, There's light here and a hand. When I ask you what it is, you say what? It's a hand. Nobody has ever said, except the clever ones who saw my video, (laughs) no one has ever said, I see light in a hand. Isn't that funny? You actually experience light in a hand, but you never say, I see light in a hand. You always say, I see a hand. Which means you... Automatic ignorance, what, causes you to focus on what? On the object, not on the subject. The subject is light. That's a symbol for awareness. You do not have an experience without consciousness. Consciousness is present in every, every experience. But I only pay attention to the experience and not to the consciousness. And so Vedanta is just what? Gradually shifting my attention from what? From the experience to the knower of the experience. And including the knower of the experience in the experience until my knowledge of the difference between the two is clear. And when the knowledge of the difference between the subject and the object is clear, I'm free. No more confusion anymore. I know what belongs to Satya and I know what belongs to me. And I don't confuse myself with objects. I remain as the subject, whole, complete, happily. I live in this world without problems. The whole point of this moksha is to live happily here and enjoy your life. And then the last verse is a beautiful verse. It's a, one of the most famous verses in all of Vedic literature. Krishna is speaking to Arjuna. He said, he said now I've told you everything. I've told you the whole story, the whole Vedanta, and I leave it up to you. You do what you want. It's up to you now. I've given you the teaching, and now it's up to you. You do what you want. And then he makes his famous statement." He says, he summarizes the whole thing in one beautiful verse. He said, Sarva Dharman mam Mamekam Sharanam Brajaha Aham Twa Sarva Pape Moksha Ishami Ma Sujaha. He says, giving up all of your what? All of your dharmas. Turning over all of your thoughts and feelings and actions and all of that, all your karma yoga and your jnana yoga, yoga and all that, turning that all over to me, huh? surrendering that to me, seeing that I'm taking care of that, right? Sarva, dharman, pritya, jep. come to me alone, turn your mind, what? To me, alone. Let go of all your stuff, keep your mind on me, and what? Aham, twa sarva, papay, biha, what does he mean? I will liberate you from that stuff, from your papas, from your karmas. I'll take care of that stuff. Don't you worry about it. Then he says, Masu Jaha. Take it easy. Relax. Fear not. You're in good hands. Relax. And that's the end of the Gita. I have a question
0: about the application of knowledge. Supposedly, things come in stages. You say, we have to do karma yoga, it prepares the mind for something, then the mind is ready for something else. But practically... I can well see myself doing, Both. On, a, on a given day, yes. a lot of stuff. Let's say I'm yes. discriminating, but at the same time, I know that the stuff I'm discriminating is really me, so there's a mixture yeah, of the first day and second day. Absolutely,
1: stage. absolutely. How, 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 no, no, please. Uh, yes, you can do jnana yoga, upasana yoga, and karma yoga all at once. You can't
0: but won't that create a confusion? No, not really. Behavior? No,
1: no, no. If you're a mature person, and you've been around in a spiritual thing for a long time. You probably have karma yoga in place already. Not necessarily. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, huh? It's, it's just to know what these things are and what's appropriate, and you can practice all of them if you're mature or sophisticated. Obviously, if you know all these and you're doing them already, it's fine. You don't have to say, well, now I'm stuck in this phase, so I can't do that phase. As long as you're doing karma. Karma yoga is just the attitude you take with respect to what you're doing. So once you've got that clear, then what's the, the, next, the next thing is what? Start thinking spiritual, you know, start doing spiritual stuff. Karma yoga, you're just doing stuff in the world. You're, trying, you're dealing with your karmas. But now in the second phase, you want to what? You want to, make, you want to do spiritual karmas meditate, pray, blah, 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 do all the stuff, you know, study the scripture, do all that sort of thing, you know, chant your mantras, go on pilgrimages, etc., 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 you want to, huh, you want to build a nice spiritual vasanas that produce sattva guna. At the same time that you're doing that, you can what? You can go to satsang, you can listen to the teachings, you can discriminate, you know, there's no reason why you can't do all three. Fine. You can be a lot further along and say, well, I'm not clean enough or I'm not perfect at karma yoga and all that. No, never mind. Huh? Engage yourself in all of them. It's fine. That's a good point. We don't want to make it sound too rigid. It's just This is all just teachings to help you identify where the problems are and what you can do with them. The important point is, is to move your spiritual life into spirit, your worldly life into an inner life. To start taking your satisfaction from the work from your inner life, to have a rich inner life, rather than just knocking around in the world trying to make the world work for you, to find satisfaction in yourself. Uh, and once you, you know, of at the, at the course... Once, once you've got a rich inner life, then use your mind to what? Discriminate the self from the objects, that's all. To remove that fundamental confusion, that's all. So you can do them all at once. I mean, I wouldn't recommend yana yoga for most of those people in that, in that room last night. Huh? You could tell, huh? You're not going to tell them to discriminate the subject from the object. Those people? Maybe, maybe, you know, five or six out of a few hundred. Those people, are they're involved in the world. <coughs> if you could just see the way they are, they're all looking around. <laughs> huh? the, all their consciousness is going into what's happening. They're extroverted. But yoga's for extroverts. And 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 that's good because they're in the right place for their extroversion. Huh? Gradually, huh? The the spiritual side, the inner side, will start to work, and those people, a lot of those people, will become contemplative. And then, the, as they become contemplative, then they'll be open to hearing about <clears throat> discrimination. But at this stage, they're too busy. They're good people. There's nothing wrong with them. They're good people, it's no no problem there. But as far as like Moksha is concerned, they got a ways to go. So karma yoga is a, a perfect kind of talk for them. That get them get them in the in the ballpark, so to speak. Get them using their energy to what to purify their minds a bit. Yoga is good too, and diet and lifestyle. That's really important. Basically, this kind of the, the yoga world is extremely good. Uh, foundation for spiritual life because it forces you to to live a pure, clean and soptic life more or less uh, yoga's been, been really good for getting people cleaned up from, from you know life of indulgence and, and suffering and so forth so it's very good but in that case it's a stage you wouldn't. I wouldn't. Wouldn't go and tell them. You know. I wouldn't try to explain the light in the hand, huh? Well, maybe it would work on a few. There'd be some. There are always mature people in every situation, and usually they don't stay in those kind of elementary, beginning situations for very long. Well, actually, some Muji people come, and end up here in Vedanta. Hmm? No, seriously, yes, some do. Not many, but but. We get a few muji people. <laughs> they, they you know, they just didn't have any access to this. They were mature. They got some kind of satisfaction there. But then something s- somehow Bogawan gave them this thought, and they thought, "I'll just check this satsang out. This is Ramji's satsang." <laughs> they thought they were coming in, coming to have another big muji experience. And then they they met me, and that they huh? This is strange, but this is good. And then a few of them stay. Most of them go back to Muji because they want the warm, fuzzy stuff. You know, they want, they want the, the Shakti. We got the Shakti. It's just that we're not needy people. So we enjoy the Shakti, but we're not here for the Shakti. We're here to understand. We're here for the truth. The Shakti is great, but so what? Those people, they're like that. So it's all good, <laughs> and it, it 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 is a serial uh, progress, but it's not. <laughs> Just depends on who you are. Yes, sir.
0: Usually, the, the identification with the jiva or with thoughts or with the emotions comes from the ego, the aham- hamkara. So, in the process of um, inquiry, the the pulling force of the ego becomes weaker and weaker. Yes, but it never completely dissolves, right?
1: It's always present.
0: It's always present, even even when, when moksha yeah, that's is taking right. place. So.
1: It's a tendency. It, yeah, it, There's that tendency to, of the ego to act and to do is there.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, the question is, um, if it does not dis- dissolve completely, there still has to be some kind of... Um, No, attachment
1: no, it's okay if you know that if you, if you understand that it's there and you uh, observe the attachment, it's fine. You don't, it, uh, ego's useful for certain things, and there'll always be a certain degree of it. If you know its attachment, is it? Are you attached?
0: It's even no, you can, you can always observe it. Yeah, you always you know, observe no, you're, always,
1: you're always observing it. You, you, you just, that's why, I'm, I am I'm I mean, I'm a weird person because I, I admit my ego. I say, oh, my ego does this, my ego does that. I'm attached to this, I'm attached to that, meaning my ego's attached to this. Well, fine. I'm not molesting little boys in the park. Huh? I'm not sticking up banks with a uh. (laughs) come on your ego's going to have little do little (laughs) do little things here and there I mean if you are molesting little boys or girls in the park then then you do have an ego problem you've got a vasana that needs needs a little bit of work but hey you know if the ego's got some sort of tendency here and there and you're well aware of it that's fine let it be You don't have to be, like, egoless. But the pull, the tendency, just, you know, as you remain established in the self as the self, in other words, you always look at all objects from the self's point of view, the pull of the ego just gets less and less and less. That's all. So It's a good question. The big thing is if you feel that sense of fullness, if you feel satisfied, uh, that's the final stage. Uh, the, the, the sixth stage is, is the, the gradual disappearance of the ego. But there will be, always be some small trace of it. Or in some cases, uh, with Abed Ananda and a few of the Muhammad's I met, I couldn't really find any trace of the ego at all. But they'd probably done the, all their work in in their previous lives and were were rebirth yogis or avatars or something like that. But for normal people, it's it's okay. You know, you're not the ego and you're not driven by it. And slowly, it just fades away. Just life just wears it away. And at some point, you notice it isn't even there. But it's not a big deal. And then. Uh, then then you just feel perfectly satisfied. But you can feel perfectly satisfied when your ego's acting up. <laughs> that's the point. Are you satisfied with yourself? Are you basically happy inside? That's called tripti. That's the, that's the freedom. It's just freedom from what? From want and fear. You're okay. And you'll notice your life you know, if, if you'll notice, your life changes, and the people, your relationship, with the people around you change. Huh? Uh, that, uh, and the world outside doesn't quite understand why you're not frantic, and running, and mm-hmm. disturbed. <laughs> There's a song of John Lennon about this. What? There's a song from John Lennon about this. Is there? Very nice. Uh, watching the wheels go round and round. Yeah, watching the wheels go round and round. Yeah. People, yeah, nice yeah he, 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 the 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 mark of the mark of uh, of moksha is its humor. I call it the fourth guna because life really becomes entertaining. It you know it's really entertaining when you look at when you know it's not entertaining when you're caught here. But when you look at it from here, it's pretty funny. Huh? Yeah, it's pretty weird. And you, you, you're quite surprised at yourself that you could have been such a fool. That's one mark of an enlightened person to say, I was such an idiot. If a person doesn't ever acknowledge that they were much of an idiot, they're probably not enlightened. They're <laughs> probably taking themselves too seriously. because once you know who you are, you cannot take this person very seriously. It just really isn't. You know it's just a a fiction created by Bhagavan for a particular purpose, that it's just brought here to do a job, and then it goes away. And and it just doesn't, you can't really relate to it. People want me to talk about myself, and I, I honestly can't do it because I just can't it's just totally if there is a self there that they're seeing, I just it's not interesting to me. I'd rather talk Vedanta or, or fishing or something, but don't please don't you know, don't ask me to talk about myself because it doesn't mean anything to me. What I'm experiencing, what I have experienced, it just doesn't mean anything. It's not real. It's just funny, that's all. Yeah, it's been nice meeting you guys. It's been good. Thank you, uh, Vedamurti. for. I can thank Vedamurti. He, he did most of the work here, organized this whole thing up. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, hope, I hope to uh, see you again sometime. We've got the website. Uh, don't be afraid to... We'll have, a new one's about to come up. It's got some pretty sexy, cool functions on it. You <laughs> uh, experience uh, that, the Whatever money you give, we, we put into the website and the books and stuff. We're really, we're really get upgrading it and making it really slick. We've got to compete with all those rich gurus. <laughs> <laughs> we got the content. There's no site like it on the Internet. There's no non the site. The content is there. There's tons of stuff. It's really, really, really rich. It's a huge resource. The satsangs, particularly read the satsangs. I don't write so many anymore, but my wife writes them, and we've got four or five other enlightened people who write satsangs. You can contact them if you like uh, and chat with them. Uh, m- uh, my wife is really good satsangi, Ted Schmidt. Isaiah, he's managing. He used to do satsangs. He was great, but he got tired of it. He and yeah, I put him to work on the on managing the shiny world, so he doesn't have time to do it. But there's a lot of good people uh, that are five or six people that are writing really good satsangs. Because Vedanta is Vedanta. I mean, and if you like, uh, we'll have a forum on there so you can probably discuss with other people. We've got the. Uh, the course, the online course, the the webinar course. In another, I think on the shortly, maybe in about a week or ten days, we're going to have another another uh, webinar on the book, uh, Essence of Enlightenment. Each each month we make a a webinar, uh, and I I answer the questions I I. I, ask, I give the answers to the preceding chapter, questions on the preceding chapter. So it's a, it's a good way to check your knowledge. And when we get done with that, we'll take up another text uh, online. We'll try to make them more, more often, maybe every two weeks now that we have good internet connections. I'm here in the West. Um, there's just the videos. You can watch the videos, got the audios. If you're driving to work, or just like audio better than video we got audios uh, they're cheap they're really good um, everything its the, the resources are there and um, so you know there's a support I'm saying there's a support system you know, if you want to come to some more talks you can um, they're all useful or valuable and uh, just keep at it you you won't. I tell you. I tell you this for sure. You won't find anything better than Vedanta. In fact, we don't even consider ourselves to be a spiritual path. Actually, a, a path a path implies that what there's a a distance between you and what you're looking for, doesn't it?
0: Mm.
1: Huh? Path means you start here and you end here. But our view is the reality is non-dual. So there's no distance between you and what you're seeking. So there's really nothing to do, although there's something to do. <laughs> uh, and that, that something is what? To seek knowledge, because there is no difference. And the seeking of knowledge does involve certain activities, obviously. But you won't, you, you won't find anything as as clear and as comprehensive and as useful and helpful as Vedanta. And we put you in the driver's seat. We, last thing we want is to be a guru. To be, I don't want to be your guru. <laughs> in other words, I don't want to... Tell you what to do and be responsible for your life. I'm happy to guru you to tell you uh, to give you the knowledge, and then but you've got to run your own life with the knowledge. I, I can't do that. I, I can barely run my own life. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I don't want to, you know manage another person's life. That, that's generally what people think gurus are. They think they should surrender to the guru and do what the guru says. Well, wrong. <laughs> Can we call you the kangaroo? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you should, yeah. You should do what what the scripture says. <coughs> the, if the guru is saying anything other than what the scripture says, then, then that's not a guru. And you should be very suspicious of those people. The actual word guru, you know what it means? It's two syllables, gu and ru. Gu means ignorance, and ru means to destroy. So a guru is someone that destroys ignorance, and that's it. A guru doesn't. Ramana said that. If, if somebody tells you what to do, they're not a guru. He's right. A guru is somebody who just uh, gives you ignorance that destroys your knowledge. On, on any level so uh, and, and it's that knowledge that becomes the guru for you right? once you got knowledge th- huh? once you got knowledge then you're your own guru right? <laughs> then you're free you, you know moksha is what freedom what was our definition in the beginning the first day Freedom from dependence on objects. If the guru is an object, you don't want to be dependent on a guru. Duh. You want to be free of the guru. So our job is to get you free of the guru as fast as possible. In the beginning stage, you need to uh, listen, pay attention, respect the guru. But what? Then once you've got the knowledge, then you're free. Then it's up to you. That's why all this emphasis on in the first, the beginning, is on, on your self-effort. Arjuna, Arjuna surrenders and Krishna says, now here's your self-effort, now you've got to do this. He explains all the things he has to do. But Krishna's never saying, I'm going to do it for you and so forth. When Krishna told him what to do, he told him as a friend. And if he did, and when he did tell him what to do, he also gave him a good reason for it I And mean, if, if somebody tells you what to do and they give a logical reason then they're not really telling you what to do what they're doing is telling you pay attention to the logic here because it just makes common sense to do this and then in the end he says it's up to you, I told you it's up to you, you do what you want And then he actually says but you will fight this war <laughs> <laughs> huh? yeah, and he did fight the war yeah he did Happens. Happens uh-huh. Oh yeah, that's not the end of it. No. This is this is just a little. This is just 700 verses in a 50,000 verse Purana, and most of it's before this. It's, this is about two thirds of the way into the story. Uh, this is set. The whole thing is setting up for this teaching, and then what happens after the teaching, so forth. the finishes finishes the finishes the story. It's uh, the whole Vedic science is there in that Mahabharata. It's really quite fascinating. Quite beautiful. A beautiful purana oh. yeah, Kagai. Oh, yeah. no. no. Ask if
0: he did huh? actually go to the war.
1: Yeah, he went. He went. He he couldn't kill Duryodhana. Duryodhana was too Tamasic. His brother had to kill him. His brother was Tomasic and beat him to death with a club. Beat him to smithereens. Uh, Arjuna was Rajasic. He couldn't, couldn't uh, kill Duryodhana. Oh, it's a great story. The symbolism is, is extraordinary. If you understand the Sattva, Rajas and Thomas and all the principles of Vedanta, and you read that story the psychology the spirituality all of it it's really cool um, another one a really good purana great purana is the ramayana the story of ram it's simpler and more elegant and the symbolism's cl- more clear and it's a beautiful beautiful uh, purana so, all these the puranas are all based upon the vedas in the Bhagavad Gita, all the ideas that you see in the Bhagavad Gita come from huh, the Upanishads, from the Vedas. Okay. That's it. No more questions? You're all in line. Send your enlightenment certificate in the mail. <laughs> Good. So, James, thank you are. very much. I uh, want to thank you. And yeah, you're welcome. The
0: group. I'm... Maybe I'm talking a little bit for someone else. Uh, yeah, thank you very much uh, for your service mm. for, for applying a, one week of uh, intense meditation on scripture and and the self. So, uh, thank you very much. That You're you, welcome. You indeed. came and uh, yes, uh, I me personally, and I hope oh, I think everybody is very. Uh, grateful, thank you very much. Mm. And uh, yeah, we hope this, uh, you will come again, maybe next year here in Bad Milded, and we'll see. Yeah, it's okay. only yeah. five months, I think. Uh, five months to. Yeah, I'll be
1: back in Europe in, next in, I think, uh, October.
0: So, so now we have some work to do. Thank you. <laughs> well, don't
1: don't thank me. Thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and, Okay. Yeah. Thank you very
0: yeah. much. For, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. for listening to the talk of James Watts on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hannover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.